Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Hello, and thank you for joining us once again on KCBS In-Depth. I'm Jane McMillan. In another huge step forward in medical technology, CRISPR gene editing is reportedly ready for testing in humans as early as this year. In a very oversimplified explanation, the CRISPR technology can edit out damaging human genes that cause disease. Incredible news, right? With the potential of improving and saving lives. Well, according to a report this week in the Financial Times, two biotech companies, one Swiss and one American, are applying for FDA permission to test gene editing on people with certain blood diseases and blindness. Now, when you consider that mapping the human genome was only started in, what, 1990? And that CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology was first demonstrated only five years ago? The pace of advancement is breakneck. It was only this past summer that CRISPR was used for the first time in the U.S. to alter the genetic makeup of a large number of single-cell human embryos. None of the human embryos that were edited were allowed to develop. They were never intended to be implanted. But it's this part of this new medical technology that is sparking some fears that maybe we're opening a Pandora's box leading to so-called designer babies. Reproductive technology is already a burgeoning global industry and one without any consistent oversight to keep up with this rapid development. This is a big concern of this week's guest on In-Depth, particularly the rights of the children brought into the world through the wonders of science, including multiple parent surrogacy, which is thriving in the U.S. and specifically California, where laws are quite permissive. Dr. Mary Ann Mason is professor of the Graduate School of Law at UC Berkeley and a faculty affiliate of the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology. Her area of expertise is child and family law and policy. An author of several books, her latest, co-authored with Tom Ekman, is Babies of Technology, Assisted Reproduction and the Rights of the Child. Dr. Mary Ann Mason, thank you very much for joining us on In-Depth. Well, thank you for inviting me. We started out, I started out in the intro talking about CRISPR technology and designer babies and gene editing, and that's on kind of one end of the spectrum. And while not happening yet, looks like we quickly could get there. But your concern is a lack of oversight, and we already have this global unregulated industry of surrogacy and multiple parent births thanks to technology. Yes. So your concern is the child. Can you... 
it's just such a massive, mind-boggling topic. <laughs> Can you give us an idea of the lay of the land right now? Well, I think most of us probably have some contact with assisted reproduction. We have friends or family members or someone who has had either artificial insemination or uh, frozen eggs or various, and of course recently the frozen eggs have gotten a lot of attention because of Silicon Valley's effort to give this privilege to all women so they don't ever have to stop working and keep going. So that's that's a convenience pregnancy. We're not yes. talking just about, I mean, it includes those who have not been able to carry their own child yes. to term. But now we're yes. talking about selectively choosing not to go through a pregnancy. Yes. I mean, there are many versions of this. It probably all, it started long before 1976 when Louise Brown was born, the first child of IVF in vitro fertilization. The test tube baby, right? The test tube baby, where you have uh, an egg and a sperm joined in a petri dish, literally, and forms an embryo. And that began the whole industry. Although, in fact, artificial insemination has been around forever. Uh, there's a there's part in the Bible where Abraham uses his servant Hagar, <laughs> although that really was that was not um, gestational. That was really biological. Anyway, but we've only become familiar with the other forms of it really since the late seventies, early eighties, and it has exploded, truly exploded. And it takes many different forms. In the book, we start with sperm, which is artificial insemination. There's a whole long story to be told there, and that actually has probably more law behind it, because it's been around a long time, or at least a lot more anecdotal issues behind it. And then we move on to eggs. Now, eggs have become very complicated because it used to be just buying eggs through Craigslist or whatever. And I think everyone who's been to college, every woman who's been to college has been solicited for their eggs. And some have given in because it's an unpleasant procedure, but it pays very well. The highest amount that, that I've noticed is $150,000 for a woman who has to have Ivy League and SATs, and she has to be a certain height and blah, blah. So truly choosing a designer baby already. Um, but it goes down you know, down the road, and I think probably the least is $10,000 that you, you get for, for donating your egg. And then freezing your own eggs has become now recently more possible, and therefore is being pushed a lot by corporations and employers as part of the health plan, because by their calculations, certainly if you continue working during those years um, and not have a baby, you're a much more valuable employee. So before we move on, so freezing one's eggs and waiting a certain, to where it's more convenient for the employer... That you go out on well, it doesn't say that. It just gives it as a benefit of their health benefits, like Google does it and Facebook, etc. Um, and the idea is we're being so kind to women, but <laughs> they're being very kind to the corporations because they're not losing the labor. Uh, and the problem with that is, at least at this stage, frozen eggs are a relatively new issue. Um, and there don't seem to be very good results if you wait too long with it. Uh, the eggs don't do well over the long term. The mother doesn't do well over the long term if you become too old to conceive naturally. Uh, so it's not a good bet for women. Netflix came out with the best policy. They're giving a year of maternity leave paid to all their employees for, for maternity. I mean, really, that's what most of Europe has, as a matter of fact. But here we're kind of going in the other direction. Just just keep working. Just keep working. And then we move on from there to embryos. And this is the product of IVF. 
And embryos are interesting because now you can produce a lot of embryos because you can produce a lot of eggs and, and sperm. You can choose the best one, and you can now scan the DNA and figure out which are the best ones and then eliminate the others. So they're used for that purpose, for sure. And as you mentioned with CRISPR-Cas9, they're also can be used for editing at that at that point as well. So embryos are really, unfortunately, uh, you reproduce you reproduce many more embryos than anyone's going to use. So we have whole cryobanks full of embryos. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, George W. had the Snowflake Project where he wanted people to adopt an embryo. No one really wants to adopt an embryo. So it's been kind of a failure. So they're just living there and in, in ice for eternity, I guess. <laughs> but federal law, am I correct that they still cannot be used for any type of testing or stem cell research or that's anything right, like that? That's right. Because, again, um, we are in the middle of the abortion wars, and these are such sensitive topics that you don't even really mention it, because you'll have uh, all political hell come down on you. <laughs> but that also keeps society from doing what you are urging, and that is come up with some type yes. of oversight yes. or consistent policy. Yes. But you've written that because the political and religious, it's almost like the third rail, if we're talking yeah. about this, um, to acknowledge that it already exists and to put some policy in place yes. is to give it a stamp of approval. Yes. Uh, it, it's unfortunate because actually Europe has done much better on this. Um and places like England and Scotland have children's acts, which give the rights to the children. It's like having a civil rights act for children, which we don't have here at all. Um, children, I, I, I spent years studying child custody in America, and children have no voice. Let's put it this way. Uh, they just get shuttled around wherever. Um, we've been consistent on that. We don't give children a voice. We've been better at the other end of not executing 17-year-olds. That was our major step in the right direction. But, uh, we're just not at all sensitive to the question of children's rights in this country and have no federal scheme like the FDA or, or some other federal agency to control or overlook the uh, fertility industry, which is very large and very, very prosperous. I do want to talk more about what you would like to see in terms of children's rights and some of the protective questions that should be asked. But before we get there, let me ask you again to give us the lay of the land of this but, international industry and why California has become, I think you called it a, a tourist, is it a surrogate? Fertility tourist. For, fertility tourism destination. Yeah, because that get... Uh, first, for instance, artificial insemination, we have no limit on the number of donations that a sperm giver can give. Uh, I guess the most that was found is 156 children were born. Um, but this is not uncommon. There's a donor sibling registry, which actually this woman in Colorado has reached out because her son is a um, product of artificial insemination, reached out to the country to you know, meet each other, not necessarily the father, because that's anonymous and they'll never get there. But um, And so far, something like 40,000 people have found matches, and it's just been amazing. And they're so excited. We have a need for biological family as well as sociological family. Well, give us, again, but I really want to get into that part of it, too, of what these uh, children of assisted reproduction are saying their feeling and that they need and, and wish would have been in place to help them. But, you know, g give us a scenario. I mean, trying to keep, get in my head how um, a multiple parent surrogacy 
would work in California. I mean, and it's and it's global. The the surrogate egg could come from another country. Right. Well, altogether, you can have as many as five parents. You have the genetic mother, the genetic father, and then you have the legal father. And then you have the same thing with. Um, then you have the surrogate mother too, if it's not the same yeah, as the, the legal mother, mother, right? And I have to, have to keep counting here, but there are five possible <laughs> parents that could. We actually allow three people on the birth certificate in California, and that usually means for a, a same-sex couple, and they'll give them both on the. But, but the thing is very, it's crazy, and it's moving very quickly. And every state has different laws. This is true in general for family law, which was. Uh, unnerving to me teaching it, because you could be, have custody laws which were dramatically different from one state to the other. And people don't go to some place to get divorced because of the laws that are there. They just don't. They, they don't even know that we have a very mobile country. You don't choose your laws. You just move where you have to go. And all of this is, this is all private, obviously private industry. What kind of money are we talking about being exchanged? You did give us some figures in terms of uh, eggs. Yes. But what are we talking about with, a say, a three- to five-parent surrogacy scenario? Well, the surrogacy, the surrogacy mother usually gets around, depending, of course, on a lot of different things, but 45000 to 60000 which isn't a whole lot for being a surrogate mother for all Nine the months, length of time. Nine months, right. Yeah, because they're not considered to be that important. They're just kind of the carrier. The problem is with surrogate, there are many problems with surrogate mother, but one of the problems is there's just about no... Uh, oversight over these mothers, their health. Are they smoking? Are they drinking? Are they doing this, that, the other thing? And there's a whole new field called epigenetics, which means that even though you're not genetically related, you can you can you can influence the genes while you're in utero. So the expression of the genes while so you're in utero. So the surrogate could, while while not genetically related to, could have an effect on the child. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. This is all just, as I say, almost breaking news because we've not been doing this for that long. <laughs> and certainly, you know, they're not giving out any judgment here because certainly the miracle of, of parents who haven't been able to have children to be able yes. to have a family yes, is wonderful. certainly a happy story. Yes, and we can't lose track of that. <laughs> yes. So not looking at, at the judgment part of it, but here we have as society and as the human race a whole new set of possibilities and questions. As I understand it, uh, with, the, say, CRISPR gene editing, yes, uh, it not only edits a gene from that embryo and that child, but then that child won't have that gene to pass on to future generations, correct? So this, this could alter natural se selection in the species. So it's, a, it's called crossing the germline, where you mess around with the, the DNA complement of a, of a baby or a per person, and that continues on over generations. So that does change, could change the species fairly quickly. And so if it's deleting a gene for diabetes yes. or Parkinson's, exactly. um, would that be a bad thing? Of course not. And that's why it's going to be used. It's not going to be just ignored or banned or whatever, because it has a very important and immediate function. Um, but then it's the creepy crawly thing because it also can do any gene. And we're learning more about genes literally every day. Uh, now you can sequence your own genes for $1,000. In fact, I think everyone's going to be having a thumbprint in their in their purse or their pants or whatever. Um, the insurance companies will demand it. And every day there are something like 30,000 genes. And every day they learn more about what those genes really represent, which means you can really be very careful in your gene editing and pick out the ones that are important or not. 
gene editing and, and privacy issues yes. and yes. and and it will bring up the issue of who has the money to yes. do this and who exactly. does not. Exactly. If you're just joining us, we are talking about uh, technology-assisted reproduction and everything that that entails. And my guest is Dr. Marianne Mason, UC Berkeley professor and co-author, along with her son Tom Ekman, of the new book, Babies of Technology, Assisted Reproduction and Rights of the Child. I'm Jane McMillan. It's been fairly recent for a lot of the new surrogacy, the multifamily surrogacy, longer, as you said, for in vitro. Yes. Um, no, but longer for in vitro, longer for artificial insemination. Oh, thank you. That's yes. been going on since <laughs> time began, right. Yes. So what what do we know of the, the from the children of these processes about, for better or worse, the impacts, what they may have wanted to know? Or right. uh, you said there, there's something to obviously being born of your genetic parent. So what are we seeing in terms of deficiencies or issues or questions? Well, with um, IVF, they have found that the first generation, the Louise Browns, have been able to reproduce. That was always a question of whether they could actually do this naturally. So that seems to be a good a good solution to that. Um, other issues are just, are just kind of unknown. It hasn't been around long enough. We don't know the results of it. So it's just hard to say exactly what effect it has. The the donor sibling registry, which has attracted all these siblings, you get a sense from them that they're really hungering for biological connection. Um, and I should mention that uh, all of Europe is much more strictly regulated than we are. In fact, all of the world is more strictly regulated than we are, which is why people love California. And it's also a destination for same-sex couples, because many countries will not allow surrogacy for um, same-sex couples. For instance, do you remember a couple of years ago, there was a terrible earthquake in Nepal? Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> the photo moment is when the Israeli army sent a, a military plane with 36 fathers to Nepal, to Kathmandu, because they had to pick up their babies who had been born by surrogates, right. who were actually Indian, from India. But India won't allow same-sex surrogacy, so Nepal does. So they scooped up their babies and went back home because Israel doesn't allow same-sex surrogacy. Um, it's, it's a crazy world. But California does, so you know, <laughs> one of the reasons we're very popular. So we're, we have questions about physiological issues, about psychological issues yes. uh, going forward, and, and we don't know that much about those needs yet, correct? No, what we do know is that when we start changing the DNA, which is what we're doing with crossing the germline with CRISPR-Cas9, for instance, then we are changing the species, too. Uh, and that can happen pretty quickly if you do it in a wholesale way. Can you give us like an example of... of I mean, that's a huge thing to wrap one's mind around. So, Well, I mean, the good examples are if you if you could wipe out, say, as you said, diabetes or tuberculosis by gene editing everyone who had that, every embryo that they found, because they have to look at the embryo first, uh, who actually had that DNA, uh, then you could wipe out the disease mm, very quickly because they would not pass on that disease. Anything that's genetically based could be wiped out pretty quickly. Uh, and that's sort of the, the charm of it and the, and the attraction of it, that you can get rid of a lot of really terrible things. The other side of it, of course, is that you can also you know, change human beings, period. So without totally knowing all of the issues that could be to come, uh, as you call for some type of thought to be, for a voice to be given to these kids, what are some of the rights that 
you might want to see or questions of rights you might want to see go into some type of oversight. I'd like to back up for a moment because I didn't mention this and it's one of the major issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is when you have IVF, you are much more likely because you're producing a lot of embryos to have, uh, and there are places like the United States and some of the fertility industry, because they don't, they're not regulated, will implant a large number of them. And therefore, you've seen all the triplets and such. Mm -hmm. Very difficult health prognosis, high mortality rate. Um, I think anyone who works in a neonatal unit will say it's the, one of their major problems that they're getting these kids. So that should be strictly regulated, as it is in Europe. They only allow up to no more than two implants. And if you're younger, only one. So they're, they're really aware of these things. But we pay no attention. Again, again, those countries have a, a different um, or a, a more developed um, civic policy for this yes. than yes. Uh, religious and yes. politics weighing yes. in on that. And the United Nations in 1989 had a convention on the rights of the child. And every country in the world participated, including the U.S., and they developed a whole list of 37 things, including not, not executing a 17-year-old, but a number of other things as well. Uh, but one of the things they insisted upon, that child should know their biological origin and their culture, um, which, of course, all the countries in the world ratify this except, guess who? The United States. <laughs> So that's obviously a, a part of the oversight you would like to see or, yes. or, or a bill of rights yes. for these children is, for, for one thing, maybe not a multiple birth or a limit on multiple yeah. Yeah. siblings yes, in, absolutely. in vitro? I mean, a, a control over the number of implantations. I, I agree with you that IVF has done wonders and you, you don't want to take it away from the world, but uh, it has to be much more regulated. And other countries do admit it. And then the United uh, Britain, after the United Nations Convention, passed their own Children Act, which gave children a lot of rights and treated them as individuals apart from their parents. What else would you like to see in that oversight, through the voice of the child, to protect the child? Yeah, well, they should know their biological origin. They should have contact with siblings. And we should not have multiple donations from a donor. And therefore, they should also have, as we've moved into the adoption world, we, have, we now pretty much have no anonymous donors. We really have opened that up greatly. This has been kind of the miracle of the uh, 1990s. I've been teaching children the law for a long time, and adoption is an area that has really changed greatly. And I think for the better. I, you know, I've always had students in my class. Um, every every semester I ask, uh, if any, is anyone adopted? And if you are, are you willing to share your story? And virtually every one of them, these are graduate students, of course, every one of them has... Um, tried to find their parents, and a couple have succeeded. And most stories are not great, but they were glad that they did it and had a much better understanding of who they are, whatever. But the one that I thought was really most interesting is um, a woman who didn't even want to do this. She said, I have a mother and father, but her boyfriend insisted this is really something she should know. So she, she found her uh, biological parents, actually, and they were in high school sweethearts when she was born, and they gave her up for adoption, and then they went on to college, and they married and had two or three other children. So they were so excited to welcome her to her family, and oh, they just made it just wonderful. But then she said, I came back home, and I said, I already have parents. I can't do this. <laughs> but she probably will. <laughs> I suspect she'll keep in contact with her siblings, because the sibling bond seems to be very strong. 
genetically and yeah. psychologically. Yes, yeah, psychologically as well. Um, and one of the questions I, I believe that you wrote that we should think about is, should money determine who genetically engineers a child? And maybe that could be expanded to who money de- is determining now in the priv- in this private kind of Wild yes. West that you've described of surrogacy. Yes. Money is already determining. Yes, money is already determining it. Certainly, certainly with surrogacy, it is. Um, and even just the whole process of IVF, etc. And if you are a same-sex couple, it can cost up to $170,000 just to go through the ordinary thing because you need many different combinations and permutations. Um, money will become even more important when, you know, it's fine to wipe out disease, and that will probably be done, I would think, more universally because it's expensive for the economy to, <laughs> to carry TB and... and uh, Diabetes, etc. We certainly can't decide as a country how to treat people with it, with health care. Anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> any rate, um, but um, anything beyond that, when you start enhancing intelligence, etc., then you get into, you know, who's going to get it? Well, that's the other question. Could a child eventually, uh, born through surrogacy or whatever assisted reproductive technology, sue their parents if they didn't have them genetically altered to have the best of everything? Do they have the right to be as genetically enhanced as As other people as possible? I don't think so. I mean, right now, there's no... no, Sure, but I mean, down the line, these are all questions. Down the line, that's a possibility, no question about it. But down the line, it's more likely that you get um, a big underground in, not circus so much, but genetic enhancement. Uh, I saw a film which was kind of frightening. China, of course, is the one who's way up ahead of this and, and everything. And this was done by a Chinese company. I think it was called B&G. And they took 100 kids um, who had an IQ of more than 135, and they sequenced their genes. Um, and then they took 100 kids who were mm, 100, 110, and sequenced their genes. Again, trying to pick out the ones that make a difference in intelligence. And it's only a matter of time before this will this will be known. Yeah, it's a fiction now, but not yeah. not too much no. longer. And there are people working on it as an, as a commercial operation too. So it's um, and in, certainly in the early years, maybe in all years, it will be those with cash who can do it, as it is now, as you mentioned, with surrogacy and other things. Because California is so permissive in its current law, and because it has the reputation of being a more progressive and liberal state. Yes. Is it possible that California then could be among the first to take a look at this and not have as many political and religious roadblocks to taking a look at putting some oversight in place? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're, that's a very good suggestion. I think you're right. I mentioned that there are so few cases on this, but a Supreme Court case in California, which was about contractual motherhood and who's the mother. And this is where the the whole notion of intentional mother came up, and which is the contracted mother, the one who pays the money and signs things. But one judge was just brave enough to say, you know, children are not, are not like tunes or property. You can't just... You can't just exchange them, and and she was so right. We're not treating children like children. We're treating it as property to be intellectual acquired. property. Yeah, yes, intellectual property uh, for sure. Again, it's hard to, in any way, criticize the fact that we get rid of some horrible diseases this way too. But um, it's always the other side of it. You know? <laughs> Dr. Marianne Mason, you've helped open this world to those of us who didn't have any idea how how global. 
uh, and how fast it's changing. How fast so it's changing. I think that's the major, major message here. Thank you so much for your expertise today. Thank you. My guest on KCBS In-Depth has been Dr. Mary Ann Mason of UC Berkeley. She, along with her son, science teacher Tom Ekman, have written the new book, Babies of Technology, Assisted Reproduction and the Rights of the Child. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jane McMillan. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. And now available for download at kcbs.com. For all news, 740 and FM 106.9, KCBS. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.